absolutely true. Just like drinking, it's like, oh, you can quit drinking and move to the polar ice caps and some, but even while you're up there, an Eskimo might come by with a drink, you know? Mm. So you can't avoid, I think avoid, I, you know, I was avoiding when I was drunk. You know, I avoided the world being drunk, so I don't want to avoid anything anymore. And you know, I think that a, an, a good uh, perspective would be, you know, just having awareness. You know, where am I? Where, where am I going? What time of day is it? What's my purpose? Um, who's with me? What are my motives? I, I mean, it's just being smart and having an awareness about you. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same like right now. How is it going, people? Hope things are going very well with you out there in the world and that you're all slowly, depending on where you live, getting back into the swing of things since the pandemic. And it's been tough, right? It's been tough, particularly on the alcohol front. Um, But here's a thing that I wanted to talk about before I get our guest on today, Dennis, uh, because um, it's really important. It's a really important uh, thing to talk about. And I want to unashamedly put a plug in there as well, right? So, like, when you think about the pandemic and you think to yourself, yeah, wow, you know, drinking's on the rise during the pandemic and... um, you know, it's it's really challenging, uh, you know, from people from an alcohol perspective. But it's not that, is it, really, when you think about it? You know, I've, I've worked with people for over a decade now, helping them to quit alcohol. And really, every single person that I've helped or I've worked with and helped, but they've not quit, they all share the same issues. They all share the same issues. All of us do because we're human, right? And basically, it boils down to this, you know, we we were not effectively parented when we were young. We wasn't effectively and healthily parented, right? And that caused significant issues and ruptures and rifts in our life in the forms of trauma, suppressed and repressed emotions in a child so desperately wanting to take control and, and successfully taking control of our bodies in our 20s, 30s and 40s which then leads to relationship conflicts and relationship ruptures and an inability to communicate. We don't know how to self-soothe our emotions, so we use alcohol. We can't handle stress and anxiety, so we use alcohol. And we were taught in school um, to intellectualize and rationalize everything, that uh, to learn and think our way out of it is is the answer, which meant that we were um, not trained are allowed to feel comfortable or even societally accepted um, to feel and to go into our body. So throughout the pandemic, everybody (laughs) suffered because everybody in one respect or another didn't have a mental map for what was going to come and got challenged in the parts and areas of their lives that they never thought possible. Career, parenting, Um, being a wife or a husband, being a son or a daughter, being a friend, being a leader, being an entrepreneur, whatever, right? It's really, really difficult. And um, I've realized myself personally that um, whilst I'll always be dedicated for the rest of my life to help people to overcome alcohol and to live a conscious life, I stopped drinking over 11 years ago. You know, that's just the, the, the true facts of the matter. I stopped drinking 11 years ago. And my superpower 
is not helping people quit alcohol anymore. It's helping people find the power within themselves to achieve the greatness that they were always destined to achieve from the moment that they were conceived, right? Like every single one of us has the power within ourselves to do whatever we want to do, right, to a certain degree. And we just need help and we need guidance. And, I, and I, I'm that guide. So I, I, moving forward, I'm going to be having a different form of conversation. I don't know where that's going to be. I don't know whether it's going to be on this podcast or on a different podcast. But I've been asking people who are really close to me, you know, like, what do you think about the Strive Method? What do you think about uh, our community? What do you think about these different challenges that we're running, like the alcohol light bulb challenge and the alcohol cravings challenge? And the feedback has been things like, complicated, deep, talking about subject matter that people who are struggling with alcohol don't really want to talk about. Well, I do want to talk about those things. So I need to serve that audience, if you're listening, you, even more, if you really just are really super struggling and just want to quit drinking alcohol, I need to be a voice and to provide content and guidance and wisdom around that area. But there's also a significant audience out there who want more and feel confident and trust in themselves and feel safe to explore deeper. And I want to serve that audience as well, you know. So and the way that I do that is through personal coaching. I, I don't think there's any better vehicle when it comes to transformational change. Um, and that's what I'm into is... Um, helping people transform their lives. Uh, there's no better vehicle than personal coaching. So if you would like to enter into a co-creative coaching partnership with myself to really transform your life, then reach out to me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com because that is where I want to put a lot of my attention and my energy these days, all right? And if you don't particularly um, feel like you need help, I'm pretty sure you will know somebody that does. And we're not talking about alcohol addiction here. We're talking about anything. Someone who's struggling to be a dad. Someone who's struggling with their masculine energy. Somebody who is struggling in their relationship. Someone who's fighting all the time. Someone who just cannot kind of get their shit together. Someone who has got apathy and boredom and lethargy and procrastination. Someone who has no meaning and purpose. Someone like me when I was 35. And I woke up one morning and was like, this drink is killing me. And I don't know who I am anymore and that is scary and that is terrifying reach out to me 1kdaysober at gmail.com all right okay without further ado i didn't really have any agenda when um dennis come on the podcast dennis berry sometimes people reach out to me or, or people's agents reach out to me and say hey, this guy will be a good fit uh, and sometimes i just get i get a bit lazy and I, and I have a little look i'm like okay this guy looks like a wizard let's just get him on so i didn't really have an agenda when i invited dennis on i just knew he was sober knew he was a wizard so i was like okay let's see him sprinkle his magic dust over the podcast and it was a lovely conversation it went in so many different directions uh, we talked about neuroception. We were talking about the cartel. Uh, we were talking about codependency. We talked about boundaries. Um, so I think you'll get a lot out of it. You know, Dennis is a master life coach and he's been pe working with people worldwide for over 15 years now. He is the author of a book called Funky Wisdom, A Practical Guide to Life. And he's also the podcast host of the Funky Brain podcast. 
And his expertise is in life mastery, but he has been sober as well since 2003. And in that time, he's become a successful businessman, athlete, and family man. And his journey in recovery has helped him find his mission in life, which is to help others achieve inner peace, success, and master uh, every other area of their life. A little bit like what I was talking about earlier on, right? So Dennis knows what it's like to be helpless and hopeless with no positive direction. He was able to pull himself out of the gutter and transform his life. And he spent his life helping other people do the same. So if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you want to make some changes, then get over to www.dennisberry.com and you can have a free consultation with a fella. All right. So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Dennis Berry. Much love. Dennis Berry, where am I? I am in Los Angeles. Where are you? I am in Colorado. Ah, what's life like living in Colorado? Well, it's uh, it's getting warmer now, thank God. But I'm moving away to a really to a paradise soon in two more months. Oh, where's that paradise? I'm moving to Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Okay. We are just going to completely change everything that we were talking about. <laughs> How are we going to talk about? We're going awesome. To talk about, we're going to talk about Mexico. Awesome, man. Let me tell you something that's going on in my life, which I'm sure people can um, get into tune with. All right. There's a link here to addiction as well. And there's a link to Mexico. And we'll see where it takes us. How does that sound? Love it. All right. Let me take my socks off and get grounded here into the, into the ground. Right. Woo, woo. Okay, so I'm living in California at the moment, but I come from the UK, okay? My wife wants us to move to Tulum, Mexico, to send Zia, our four-year-old daughter, to the green school. She's actually applied. So if she gets through the application, we're going to Tulum, okay? When my wife thinks about Tulum, she's like, boom, we're going to Tulum, baby. There's a jungle. There's paradise. There's all this nature. There's the beach. There's the sand. There's this beautiful, amazing growth community. I just can't wait to go there. It's going to be fantastic, right? When I think of going to Tulum, I think, fuck, the cartel. I'm going to get robbed. My daughter's going to be trafficked. I am uh, going to be pulled over by the police. I'm robbed every single night. The storms are going to blow my internet. I'm going to get mosquito bites. Some bugs going to fucking kill me. The food's going to give me the shits. Fuck Tulum, right? And my wife says to me, Lee, you know, like, we need to live. Like, we need to live, right? I feel like I'm dying here in LA. We need to live. Now, I recognize, because of the work that I've done, that this mindset, this neuroception of I see danger everywhere, comes from me being a 10-year-old lad, moving from England to Wales, being the only Chinese kid there, being the only English kid there, not knowing anyone, being terrified to leave the house. And then when I eventually do leave the house, the animals in the jungle eat me alive. You chink, you English wanker, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just fighting for my life all the time, right? So I understand that, where it's coming from, but it still doesn't allow me to go, Tulum. Now, I imagine there are a lot of people in the world who drink alcohol, who take over drugs because they're afraid of stepping outside their front door, a little bit like I'm afraid of going to Tulum. You're going to play a Del Carmen, right? Like, you don't seem to me like you're afraid. So, what's going on? What's on your mind? Where does that land with you, Dennis? Wow, what a loaded question. And what a great story that was. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that catastrophic thinking. You know, we're, as we, we talk about all the time, I'm sure you do too, in the world of recovery, it's like the drinking, the drugs, those types of things, that's not the problem. The problem is my thinking. Mm. And where does that thinking come from? Where does it originate? How can I change that thinking? And my, a lot of us go to that worst case scenario. You know, we're looking at the the harmful side of things or the negative side of things or what's going to happen to me. Oh, my God. I just spent a month down there in, in February. Mm. And while I was down there and I'm in like an expat community and, and but while and it, where I'm going to be living is really quite nice. It's a little town called Playa Car and it's really gorgeous. And um, it's kind of like Europe, cobblestone streets. And it, it's just really nice. But um, funny you bring that up, the cartel and all that stuff, though. Um, actually, I, I mean, I can go in a couple different directions here. But the first first of all, when I was down there, yes, people are going to drink. People are going to get stoned. They're going to do whatever it is that they do. And, you know, being sober isn't it about avoiding those places. It's about being able to go anywhere on the planet that anybody else can go and have a good time mm, mm. and go and be successful and be healthy and happy and enjoy life on life's terms, right? That's a big recovery term. Mm -hmm. Ironically, in that area, in that little community where I'm going to be living, there was a restaurant there and uh, called El Bistro. And we went there a bunch of times. It was we went two, three times a week, and every night it was like it was like the movies. You know, they they moved the tables around. The owner, we would get there, and the owner would bring us a table and put it over here. And they had like live acoustic music and singing, and people dancing and being merry and drinking and all that stuff. And we went there quite frequently. It was like the catch-all for everybody in the playa car in that community. Mm -hmm. And a week after we got home. Uh, I got a message from one of our friends that's still down there saying the owner, the one who used to get us the table, he decided yeah. a couple of months ago to stop paying the cartels and they shot him and killed him. <laughs> oh, wow, man. This is a good to my neuroception. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought it up. So I was like, interesting. Yeah. But you know, the truth is, is, is your wife and, and like, I'm not going to defend your either side. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, going to yeah, stay yeah. out of those domestic disputes, but your wife is right. It's like, we have to live mm. like, you know, the likelihood of that happening to us is very unlikely. Mm. And we don't go in those areas or participate in the activities that are going to get us shot and killed. And, but anything's possible. I mean, I live in Colorado, Columbine happened here. Mm. And just uh, last month, 10 people got killed in the supermarket in Boulder, Colorado. So, mm. I mean, that stuff happens all over the world. And we can't let our we can't let it drive our daily activities and our happiness. And so, you know, while I was down there, I worked. I had my clients. I did podcasts. I did writing, writing another book, and doing all these things I'm doing. And I was like, I could do this and not have to shovel snow anymore. I'm out mm -hmm. of here. So I came you, home and I'm packing all my stuff and moving. Let me ask you a question on that because this is the question that one of my we, we our community is called Strive, and I was talking about this Tulum thing in in our Marco Polo group. And uh, one of our strivers, Kim, she said, funnily enough, when you said you was going to move to Tulum, my instinct was, holy shit, that sounds really scary, right? So she asked the question, when do we discern uh, the difference between living and actually putting yourself in a spot that you don't really need to put yourself in? You know, And I found that a really difficult question to answer. I don't know how you feel about that. Mm, yeah. 
Interesting. I mean, like when, when you hear about it, it's really the cartel stays between the cartel. I mean, is that kind of, is a cartel driven question? No, it's, it's, it's so, for example, I have a friend at the moment who's in player Del Carmen, right? He's at, he actually, he's working with me, right? He was there four days. And in the four days he was there, he was picked up by the police four times, just minding his own business. Four times they asked him to get in the police car. Four times he said no. Four times they robbed him, right? And he's like, I'm on the verge of getting out of it because I don't feel safe leaving my house. So the question being asked by one of my members of Strive is, um, why go and do that when you can when you can stay where you are and not be in that spot? Now, I live in Los Angeles, right? Like, hell, just down the road from here the other day, they discovered a pedophile ring on all kinds of shit, um, weapons and all kinds of stuff, right? But so this is why it's really important to talk about this, right? Because it's like sure. confirmation bias. It's like, I think this fear of not going somewhere makes me forget the danger that's actually currently around me. I mean, it took me some some dragging and kicking and screaming to go from the UK to come to Los Angeles. The thought of somebody having a gun just freaks me the fuck out because like in the UK, we don't have guns. Our policemen don't have guns. Like we don't, you see them at airports and stuff. So I guess her point is wh- why go? Where can't, can't you find somewhere where people aren't getting robbed where people, and, and then I guess, and, and where there's sunshine, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess it's a question of, well, where in the earth do those places exist? <laughs> That's absolutely true. Just like drinking. It's like, oh, you can quit drinking and move to the polar ice caps and some, but even while you're up there an Eskimo might come by with a drink, you mm. know? So it, you can't avoid, I think avoid, I, you know, I was avoiding when I was drunk, you know, I avoided the world being drunk. So I don't want to avoid anything anymore. And, you know, I think that a, an, a good uh, perspective would be, you know, just having awareness you know, where am I? Where, where am I going? What time of day is it? What's my purpose? Who's with me? What are my motives? I, I mean, it's just being smart and having an awareness about you. I'm, I'm fine living in a little, in a smaller community where I don't go into those danger zones. Mm. I'm right next to Playa del Carmen, this town where I'm going to be. And it's, mm. it's really quite safe. But again, there's dangers everywhere. You, you just made that point where, where would that place exist where there's no violence, where there's no muggings or robbings or drinking or any type of anything that's going to put me in harm's way? Now, you have a little kid to think about, too. I don't know. I mean, these are all things you have to weigh out. I would say write these things down and really find the answers that you're looking for so they make sense in your heart. It's hard to it's, come from outside sources. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, what I'd like to just say to the people listening, you know, when... Uh, Dennis was talking there. I was thinking, okay, what's the emotion? Like, so what's the emotion is coming up when I'm thinking about going to Tulum and it's fear, right? But fear, um, if you look at the good aspect of fear, the gift that fear gives us, it gives us um, clarity. It gives us focus. It gives us awareness. It activates our intuition. So it can prepare us. So like Dennis says, kind of answering my own question here, if I went to Tulum, uh, then what I would likely do is go there on holiday first suss the place out, and then you would just do things that were less risk tolerant. So you wouldn't go into certain zones, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you wouldn't go out at night on your own, just walking around, you, and, which is same in LA here. You know, I went, I went running the other, I used to run at night and my, my wife said to me, you're crazy. You're going to get mugged. 
But my paradigm is who's going to stop a grown man running around? Like there's easier people. That's my paradigm, right? And so someone stopped me and said, I just want you to know, mate, I just seen a, a big wild animal running around. Then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not running at night anymore. Right. <laughs> so it, it's interesting how your paradigm works. Like how, how, like your paradigm is, okay, there's no wild animals in the UK that are going to stop you on the street and chase you, but there are here. I ain't running here. <laughs> you know, like it's just so interesting. And I, and I think I'll put this over to you in a minute, this way of, thinking and the way of, of being that I that is kind of like a foundational piece of my personality at the moment I think this is one of the reasons I don't go to pubs and clubs because you know you said you shouldn't avoid those places when you go sober I don't want to go there to these places I'm avoiding them for a reason and I think one of the reasons is I'm afraid to go there not because I'll drink is that when I go to a pub and a club where some people see joy and happiness I see danger does that make sense Absolutely. Yeah. And that's emotional intelligence. That's like being aware of yourself, establishing boundaries for yourself that you stick to and say, I don't feel safe here. So I, I don't go. Now, when I was drunk or stoned or whatever, I didn't have those choices. I didn't create those boundaries for myself. Mm. I had the, I had unhealthy ways of thinking and I followed those into the depths of hell. Mm. You know, so now being sober, I mean, I, I think that's a great awareness that you have. I've been you know, I've been sober 18 years, so I, I didn't start off by going to parties on beach parties and bars and stuff like that. And I don't do it on a regular basis. But if somebody I'm with wants to go do something like that, I can because I'm sober and healthy and I have a pretty solid foundation to to lean on. Hmm. But I didn't do that for years into sobriety. But I've been to every island in the Caribbean and beach parties and bars and you know, poolside where people are drinking at 10 o'clock in the morning and slam doing shots of tequila. And it's like, I can go there because I'm sober today. Mm, mm. And I, and again, like if you're, if you're freshly sober and cravings and unhealthiness and your, your, your life is falling apart, probably don't go do that. Mm. You know, I would say stay, find some sort of program like strive or something that's to, um, help build you a foundation so eventually at some point you can go in those places but you know eventually at some point going to those places isn't the goal you know it used to be like where am i going to go get drunk today well now as i wake up it's like what am i going to do for my workout today and what am i going to eat for healthy how am i going to eat healthy today can i drink a gallon of water today who can i help today can i work hard towards my goals today like these are all like good choices to have and I have different motives when I wake up every day. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I was watching The Hands, Handmaid Tale last night with my wife. And there was a scene in there where a teacher who was single and she didn't get out of the house, she, she got brave enough to go out on a date. So she, gets, she goes to this club and before she meets the guy on the date, she's on her own. And the music's going, doo, 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 you know, and the, the strobes are going and everyone's, hey, and we're all together. And in that moment, I felt really uncomfortable. I, I, I thought to myself, I wonder if my wife wants me to take her to these places. I'll ask her after, actually. I wonder if she wants me to take her to these places. I wonder if she thinks I'm boring, right? Like that, that went through my head, like boom, 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 right? And then I said to myself, well, would you want to go to one of those places, Lee? And I'm like, that's the last place on earth I would want to go. But I love dancing and I love communication and i love talking to people and getting deep and i love music but that place i don't want to go 
There's places for that. Right. Like what? Like finding sober raves and stuff? Oh. You know, I mean, you're in L.A., man. There's a, how many. And, and yes, we, it's been a challenging year and things are definitely a little different. But there's yeah. an outdoor patio somewhere with people playing live music. There's the beach. There's people playing guitar down by the beach. I mean, I don't know where you are, but I've been out there a bunch of times. And yeah, I mean, there are options. You know, if your option is to go get drunk, you're going to go do that. If you mm-hmm. if, if you're motive, if you really want to find live music without drinking, you can you can go do that. But here's the thing with, and I don't know about your sobriety, how long you I don't know your whole story, but you know, when I got together with my ex, cause I I'm single now, mm-hmm. when I got together with my ex 10 years ago, I said to her, if you want to have a glass of wine, then you need to do that. And if you want to slam tequila out of the bottle and dance on the table, you need to do that. Because mm. because that's who you are. If you're going to hold back and not do that, eventually you're going to grow resentful or angry or like you're you're feeling some sort of loss or missing something, and which she did eventually. And yeah. uh, but I said you need to do that because if not, you're holding back and you're not being who you are. And if mm. you're not being who you are, you can't have a relationship that way. Mm. So eventually, for the first couple of years, she was really like on guard about it all, and eventually it grew into a resentment and. So, so she started drinking again and eventually we got to the place where, you know, she, she didn't drink like us, Mm. you know, so it wasn't a problem for her. She could sip on half a glass of wine and then leave the rest, which to me is stupid, Mm. (laughs) but, but but then we would go to parties and she would get tipsy, you know, she would drink a lot, but then she was also very successful and didn't have any health problems, financial problems, like life was really good. So that's fine. I'm not mad at alcohol. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is great. You know, it removes you from, it removes, you know, like the care, boredom and worry. It, 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 there's that, that freedom that it gives you that levity. And that's great. If you can control it for you, everybody has mm-hmm. a different definition of what that means, but I can't. So, and, but I'm not mad at anybody else because they can enjoy it. Mm. I can't mad. <laughs> I mean, I'm my wife. My wife has been drunk once in 10 years. Yeah. It was in Paris. And I, I remember it. I was, um, it was on the Champs-Élysées. She was in a club. And um, I refused to go to the club. I didn't go to the club. And just to make it clear, I, I never refused to go to these places because I was worried about drinking. Like, I haven't drunk for over 10 years, and I've never wanted to drink. Like, I could go into a club, and I'm not triggered to drink ever. But now I don't drink. The thought of being in a club is just like... It's like hor- horrifying to me, right? It's like I realized that I only went to these places to drink. I didn't go there for anything other than that. I didn't go for like a million people to squeeze me in and shout and scream at me and, and kiss me and lick me. And I didn't, I didn't, they don't like that when I'm sober. So when I saw a, a drunk, I flashbacks to my ex wife straight away. Um, the way that she was talking to people, the way her face changed, the way her tone got more aggressive, everything about it, I was like, I don't like this. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know, maybe I attract this because of this neuroception thing that we're talking about of, I see snakes everywhere. Some people see lovely green grass. I see snakes everywhere, right? So, you know, maybe that's something to think about. But if if Liza, if we and Liza went out for a meal and she had a glass of wine, I've got no problem with that at all. But if she got drunk, yeah, I'd find that really, I'd find it really difficult. I'd find it really difficult. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're having those types of talks in your relationship, I mean, it, 
one of the things I teach with my clients is like, so, because I work with a lot of couples Hmm. and it's not always a black or white answer or yes or no, or he's right. She's right. Sometimes we, one of the things we want to find is solutions to, but solutions with compromise, Hmm. right? So let's say somebody uh, loves live music and wants to go to live music. Let's say the husband wants to go to live music every week. It's like, Mm -hmm. he has to have that live music and she doesn't want to. So, and this is actually from one of my clients in the past. So, yeah. So what we came up with was like, how about if she goes with him one or maybe two weekends a month, and then the other times he can go with his friends. Mm. So that's a solution with compromise. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing with your drinking or with whether she wants to go party or go to clubs or something. It's like, if she feels that need, you know, express that. I don't know how much therapy we want to get into about your relationship here on the show, but um, yeah. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, I don't really want to go to those places, but if you feel like you're missing out on that type of entertainment or whatever, then maybe you can go with your friends. I want you to, I want you to have that. And I trust you and I love you. So go get it. You know, Mm. I think solutions. I think this is really, really important conversation actually, because what you're talking about in a way is approaching your relationship from allyship and not like silo management, like we're together as a team. So how can we have a win-win here? So with Tulum, for example, I've just told Liza and I'm vulnerable enough to do that. I'm just terrified. I'm just terrified to go to Tulum because of the, the way that my brain just immediately goes to those dark, nasty aspects. And I have a therapy session a day and that's one of the things I'm going to work on, right? My like Because I'm pretty sure that when she says, let's go to Tulum, it's not a 46-year-old man who's responding to it. It's a 10-year-old boy. So I'm going to I'm gonna do that work. So there's definitely compromises there. Let's go to holiday in Tulum. Let's spend a shorter period of time in an Airbnb at somewhere else where there's there wasn't seven killing shootings last week. But when it comes to drinking, and this isn't going to be the same for everybody, for me, there are certain non-negotiables in a relationship that when I'm in a relationship with someone, we're kind of like, these are the non-negotiables, right? Like, I don't want you to physically hit me. I don't want you to have an affair with someone. If you sleep with someone, that's all right. But if you have an affair with someone, nah, I don't know. I don't want you to hit my kid. I don't want you to be drinking and taking drugs to a degree that you're not doing it. That it's, It means that I can't connect with you. Like, you know, like if you're coming home drunk every weekend, I, I, I that is a non-negotiable for me. And Liza knows that. So it's not like I'm some kind of like guy with a whip. This is not allowed in our relationship. It's it's kind of an agreement. She wouldn't be with me if she felt that that I was stopping her from doing those things. She doesn't want to do those things. But if she suddenly did and she wasn't she wasn't doing it because there was a, an unhealthy reason why she was doing it, you know, like depression or whatever, where you have to be there for them, then I'd have a real problem with that. And I the reason I say this is a really important discussion and love to have your, your thoughts on this. I have had a lot of clients where I know that being with their partner or not is a coin toss. They're not happy. They're dying in the relationship. It isn't a relationship. And the only reason they're not leaving is because of sunk costs and because of fear. And, and, and very often alcohol's tied to it. Could be a wife who just drinks every day or a husband who drinks every day. And it's, got, it's, got, it's gone against their grain. You know, and they're not being noticed, they're not being loved, they're not being connected to, but they won't leave. And this is why I touch on these non-negotiables. So how do you deal with couples, and we're going all over the place, who, who come to you 
and you think it to yourself, why is this person even in this relationship with this person? Like, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's really great. So, you know, the biggest addiction in the world is codependency. Hmm. You know, more than alcohol, drugs, more than Netflix, maybe not as much as iPhones, but, but <laughs> codependency, absolutely. I mean, there's so much we could talk about right here, but most relationships are unhealthy. Most of them are. Mm. And there, there's a lot of different things we could talk about here, like I just said. But, you know, there's this one thing called the 3% rule of dating, right? It's like every when you get together with somebody and you were just talking about the deal breakers, right? No cheating, no abuse. Um, though, I mean, those are the two big ones, really, for yeah. me, you know, and and as long as there's like the love and the chemistry and what, whatever you're, we all have our own rules, right? Yeah. We have our rules. And what happens is when people first get together, maybe there's like this awesome sex, awesome physical chemistry, and then every, you know, just like that, that honeymoon period, there's no like money problems, health problems, everything's great and groovy. You're the only two people in the world that exist and everything's perfect. But, no there's, these, but there's these three things, right? Like mm. the sex is great, no money problems, but there's these other three things that are, they're going against my grain. Like I don't feel right about those, but the sex is good and, the, and we're having a good time. So let's just deal with it. And what happens is as time goes on, some of that magnetic chemistry goes away and life happens. And all of a sudden there's just this person sitting in front of you that isn't quite as exciting as they used to be. And now mm. there's those three things there that mm. are glaring. And what happened was you broke your own rules. You understand? We all have rules, things that are really important to us. And then we broke our own rules and now we're in this relationship, but we keep trying to make it work. Now, there's compromise that needs to happen in relationships. There's fighting. There's, you know, different interests and stuff like that. And those are fine as long as they're not your big rules. Mm. You know, there's always going to be fighting and stuff in relationships. And fighting can be healthy, too, if it's done the right way. You know, as long as it's not this alcoholic disaster. And people know what I'm talking about right now. But we can't break our own rules because those things become glaring defects in the future and weigh heavily on the relationship. And, you know, my job as a, as a marriage love relationship coach, isn't to tell you whether or not you belong together. It's to lead you to the truth. Mm. Right. And there's different ways to do that and figure that out, but I can't tell anybody, no, you guys don't belong together. Like you said, that's a coin toss, but my job is to say, is to help lead you to the truth. And I've had both. I've had, 30 year relationships and always, and let me, let me also clarify when I work with couples, this is really important point. It's always separately. When we meet first, the three of us meet. And after that, we never meet together again. Every once in a while, we'll do like a love meeting type thing. But other than that, the only way that marriage coaching, counseling therapy works really is when you work on yourself separately and then you bring your improved selves back into the relationship. It never works with the three of you sitting there because somebody wants to be there more than the other person. Somebody talks more, somebody's angry more, somebody's happier. Like it just doesn't work that way. And so I've worked with couples that 30 year marriages that were on the verge of divorce. And then I was able to bring those back together. And then there was, well, I shouldn't say I am, I can't take the credit. They did the work necessary. And then I've worked with, like you said, it's a coin toss and, you know, and I'll work with the two of them. And they've been together two, four, five years. And 
and and it falls apart because mm. there's really there's really no green like light at the end of the tunnel and they they both see that and of course it's hard and painful but most people aren't willing to go through any type of heartache because they feel that's codependency because they mm. feel that they'll never find somebody else again or that they're not worthy of anything better. You know, these are all limiting beliefs that we have that probably go back to childhood. It's such a paradox because if you, I'm thinking about this now, I'm thinking if you have, if you have two people who are in a secure, if you have a secure attachment style in a relationship, they're more likely to identify that this isn't right and have the confidence to leave because they know they're going to find another relationship. And it's the people who are anxious or avoidant who end up in relationships of 20, 30 years. Think of my mom and, and my mother-in-law, 50 years. They can't fucking stand the person. Totally. They don't want to talk to them. They don't want to touch them. It's like, but they can't leave because they've got an anxious avoidant attachment style coupled with like socialization and the whole theory of romanticism. And it's just so sad because it's just one life dead over what did I do? I stayed with this person that I, I loathe and just did not provide me with what I wanted. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's really awesome. And you know, it's so descriptive of most relationships. I know that's what is so sad, right? Like, yes. And that's codependency. So, you know, with that best relationships, you know, there's like a love scale that we can use, right. That we use. So a, a one is where you have that's the abuse that the addictions the physical abuse emotional abuse all kinds of, just a disaster twos and threes you're still down in that area maybe not as much physical abuse but there's still maybe some addictions of sorts when you start getting into four or five now you're moving into healthy relationship zone when you get into six seven eights those are like you know you have a couple of independent people rather mm-hmm. than codependent people that are willing to have the difficult conversations that are Mm. willing to talk about what's on their mind and find uh, solutions with compromise Mm. and keep growing into each other. And then you get up into the nines and tens, which are like unicorns where you just have like two completely independent people, emotionally independent people that are healthy and strong, confident, capable, fully trusting, loving, supportive, and those are the healthiest relationships. Tom Cruise had it all wrong in that movie. Jerry Maguire, he said, you complete me. That's a bunch of bullshit. You're right. You know, you shouldn't be completed by another person because eventually you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you have two independent people that are already complete, then you have successful relationships. And another reason most relationships fail is because there's no time in between the past relationship to recover and heal. And so they drag all those old beliefs and behaviors into the new relationship. And, you know, most of the time, those don't last very long anyway, those uh, rebound relationships. Mm. But what's even worse, sometimes they do. Mm. Sometimes you leave one horrible divorce and you, you didn't do any of the work to grow through. You didn't take any time off. You know, I always recommend taking a full year off of dating, yeah. dating, sex, everything. You have to recover from all that. And if you don't, you're going to drag all that in. And now sometimes these relationships will last 20 years, these dysfunctional, unhappy relationships, because it's all the same behavior patterns that you had in your previous broken relationship. We interrupt this conversation between Dennis Berry and Lee David to bring you an important announcement. Everybody in life should have coach. 
a coach until the day that they die, especially a transformational coach. If you are struggling in your relationships, if you are struggling with addiction, if you are struggling in your role as a parent, if you don't know who the hell you are and you would like to find out who you are, if you're in a dead-end job, if you want to find what your meaning and purpose is, then why not work with Lee Davey, transformational specialist? Send him an email, 1kdaysober at gmail.com, and you can get on a call to see what he can do for you. Right, now, back to Dennis Berry, Lee Davey, and the Mexican cartel. I wish I would have met you 10, oh, 10 years ago, because uh, um, I left, a, well, got left, got kicked out of a 15-year marriage, 20-year relationship, and then I fell for my wife today, six months after we split up. And then we started dating and then we ended up getting married, right? And um, because we do a lot of work, you know, personally and in this relationship, and this took a lot of uh, vulnerability for me at the beginning because I had to own up and just be like, you know, like I was, I can look back and see that I was definitely on the rebound. I was definitely on the rebound. I hadn't grieved. I hadn't dealt with that relationship. I was still suffering. I had repressed all of my emotions and my heart was desperate to find somebody else because I was afraid of being lonely all, all my life. And then I bump into Liza. She listens to me. First woman ever to listen to me, you know? And like Liza said, at the beginning of our relationship, you treated me like a therapist. I'm completely unaware that I was doing that. That beginning of our relationship was a major issue. Like that, that, put us in our beginning of our relationship, put us in the therapy. And we had to sit down and we had to talk about the emotional and the rational side of it and say, you know, do we want to make this work? Did we make the wrong decision? Even though we rebounded, do we see qualities in each other that we, uh, as a life partner, do we want to grow a family together or do we want to be separate? And they were really, really difficult conversations to have. And I imagine it's unusual for couples to have those conversations because I know for myself, fuck, to own up to somebody and say, ah, I shouldn't have got in a relationship with you. Like the pain and suffering that I could cause somebody by even saying that, like, I don't think people go there enough, you know? So right now, me and my dearest wife, we're deep in love, but who knows in the future, right? You don't know, right? We're committed to make things work. And we have a really good repair and rupture process in place. But here's something I want to ask you aligned with that. What happens if there's one person who's like, holy shit, my relationship doesn't work. I was definitely on the rebound, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to go to Life Master School. I'm going to work with Dennis. I'm going to read his book. I'm going to learn everything I can about relationships. Meanwhile, that guy over there is just sat in his chair, farting, drinking his beer, asking me where my food is. He ain't doing nothing, right? Now, we know that one person can change a relationship. We've read enough about it to know that one person can change a relationship. But how can we give that woman, we'll say, hope? Because right now she's looking at this guy thinking he's not interested in anything. He's not doing any work. What do we what do we do to give them hope, to give them tools in that situation, Dennis? You know, really what it comes down to is establishing boundaries and practicing the self-love, self-care, and self-respect. And then the thing with boundaries, though, is they have to have consequences. Hmm. Without that, like if I say, all right, here's this boundary I have. I want you to do this because this is hurting me. And mm. uh, if that doesn't change, then I'm going to have to leave. So if it doesn't change and you don't leave, 
then the behavior is not going to change. Right. Yeah. Cause your integrity is so, out of whack. Right. Yeah. So you have to like be true to yourself. So, you know, it's like a great example is like uh, my, my family, they talk about politics. I don't do that. So when I go over there and they're talking about politics, then I said to them once, I was like, if, when I come over, can we please not talk about politics? Cause it makes me uncomfortable. Hmm. And, uh, and they kept going. And, and I said, if you do, then I'm going to have to leave. And so next week I went over there and they kept talking about politics. So I left. Hmm. And now they don't talk about politics when I'm around anymore. So basically what you, you can do is train the people in your life, how to make you happy. It's really cool. And it works really well, but it's the same thing with relationships. So, you know, if you, if, when you're when you're talking about that guy who's sitting in the chair of fart and drinking beer and eating shitty food and not aware at all, and he's not changing, then um, most likely he's not going to on his own as long as he doesn't have to, right? So if she's like, I can't handle that type of behavior, if it doesn't change, then I'm going to have to leave. Mm. And if he doesn't change and she keeps staying there, he's not going to ever change. Right. So there needs to be consequences for the boundaries that you set. Otherwise, she's just a nag. And I and I can go either way. I'm not saying nagging wife. I'm not saying anything about a woman. You know, it could be the vice versa, too. Otherwise, you're just being annoying, like you're ruining my buzz. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then you have to have those personal boundaries yourself. So the only person that can stay with a codependent person who's sitting in that chair drinking and farting and doing all that is another codependent person. Mm, good point. So she's also codependent. And then this is why we work separately. So I can work on with him on his issues, you know, if he's willing and if not, then he can go be him. And I work with her and teach her about self-love, self-care, self-respect, how to establish those boundaries, how to take care of yourself and how to train the world around you to make you happy. Mm, I just want to acknowledge you for that because that ain't easy to to do what you did, you know? So just want to honor you for that. And people listening, you know, you, you'll hear Dennis's inflection at the end of it. It was enthusiasm, wasn't it? He was like, yeah, I, I can like create my whole happiness world. But again, a lot of people could look at it and think fear, right? Like I sure. remember my mom and dad smoke, right? I haven't seen them for a year because I've been stuck in LA with pandemic. I had a thought when I was meditating yesterday. Wow. If I go and see my mom and dad, I haven't seen her for a year and I'm still going to have to ask them to meet me somewhere else because I don't want to meet them in the house because even if they stop smoking, leave the windows open, I don't want my family in there. That is so difficult for me. I do it and I make myself a villain and I have to do work to get out of that drama triangle and and, and be like, no, you're protecting your family. You're setting a, a really healthy boundary. But if we've, if we've been raised that that is kind of disrespectful or something else is going on there, like a need for approval, I don't want them to disapprove of me if I tell them I don't want to come around their house and smoking. You know, we, we need to be working with people like Dennis to identify what the hell is going on because otherwise you just, you have no clue. It just feels uncomfortable so you don't do it, right? Like you need to, someone needs to ring the bell. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, that's all codependent behavior. And, you know, it's all subconscious thinking that I can't tell my parents not to smoke or that we have to meet someplace else. You know, that, that, I mean, again, I want to recognize you, kudos, like that's huge, 
right? Mm-hmm. Most people will not do that. Mm-hmm. And that is codependent behavior. Not doing that, that's like trying to make other people happy at the expense mm-hmm. of your own happiness. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a huge harmful behavior that crushes relationships, just crushes them. So, and I bet you that that, that that behavior and that belief system formed probably when you were like four. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it goes way back because we're driven by our subconscious thinking. Our conscious mind says, you know, this is my to-do list. This is how I want my day to go. This is how I want people around me to behave. And this is what I'm going to do. And my mm-hmm. subconscious mind says, let's go get a beer and hang out and watch porn or just watch Netflix and not do the things that I want to do to get me to achieve my goals and happiness. Mm. And your subconscious mind's running the show. 90% of all your activity, like your subconscious mind does good things too. Like you brush your teeth. I wake up in the morning, I brush my teeth. And why? Because when I was four years old, my parents said, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth. <laughs> now that's what I do because I did it every day for an extended period of time. Mm. But I also listened to my parents maybe fight and I didn't know how to handle that. So I, I developed some sort of coping mechanism to handle that. And I did that every day, day after day after day after day for an extended period of time. And now that's how I act in relationships. Mm-hmm. I'm scared or I, I try to avoid those harmful feelings, those uncomfortable feelings of fighting. Mm-hmm. And then I, my relationship ends up suffering. So in order to reprogram the subconscious mind, which is absolutely, totally doable, we have to do things differently over and over and over and over and over again for an extended period of time. Yeah. But yeah. it happens that, you know, if you're looking at 40 years of harmful behavior, it's going to take longer of two to three weeks of talking with me or you or somebody who's a professional to help you undo that behavior and undo those beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, those go way deep. And, but it's totally possible. In most cases, I haven't seen a behavior that can't be undone and, and, a year, you know, yeah, but you, if you, if you want it, if you want it, it's just a matter of time. It. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, we're definitely we're looking at three to six months up for like some of the less harmful behaviors, but six months to a year. Hmm. I mean, you don't even realize, first of all, awareness is key. We kind of talked about that earlier. And once you become aware, you know, in my book, I talk about the how approach to life. How do I become successful? How do I quit drinking? How do I have good relationships? How do I lose 20 pounds? How it stands for honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. Mm. So first I have to be honest and say, things aren't going well, you know, cause I can't solve a problem. I can't admit exists. And then once I can do that, now we have something to start a starting point. So we could say, now I'm open, open-mindedness to a new way of living that will help me become happier. And then once I'm honest and open, then I become willing to apply those things into my life so I can change. Mm. Right. So once I can admit that things aren't going well, then I can make changes. Mm, super important. I mean, just on this question of can one person change a relationship? If we use like my mother smoking as an example, at the beginning, see, 20 years ago when I had my son, my son stayed with my with my mom. I went to work and she he stayed with her. And yeah, I mean, I, ne- I I think the rules were, man, don't smoke in front of him, go and smoke in the kitchen or whatever, right? So when I had Z- when I had Zia, who's now four, I'm a completely different human being to a certain extent. Now I'm like, ma'am, open the window two hours before my daughter comes around. 
My wife, however, who is a completely, again, different to me, right? Different boundaries and different rules. My wife is, she ain't going around there, full stop. Second, third and smoke, it doesn't matter how long. I remember getting into fights with my wife because I didn't want to tell my mom and dad that we couldn't come around because it felt trivial. Like I was, like I, I wasn't comfortable in my new skin. I still wanted to be that old guy, right? There was some attachment to it. What I see now is Liza had really healthy boundaries and I didn't. Liza had the power and the strength, a little bit like you just did then. You were like, yeah, boom. I told them I'm going to talk about politics. They started talking. I left. I can create my own happiness. That's Liza. Yeah. Whereas I, I'm always working on, hey, what's going on here? Why, why, why am I suddenly feeling uncomfortable right now? So in that instance, she really helped me to be like, okay, I can see that. She's not being a nag. She has boundaries. And sometimes when she puts them into play, it activates my inner child. And uh, I'm just like, yeah, there's a 10-year-old running a show, or there's a four-year-old run, running a show, or a five-year-old running a show, you know? So really important stuff. Talk a little bit more about self-care, self-love, self-respect, because it seems really important for somebody to get that in check before they start whipping out boundaries and telling people there's consequences. Because I, I imagine a lot of people, when they come to you, they're, they're at a low and they've, they haven't got a lot of hope and confidence is a bit down. So how, how do you get those three S's into play? That's a great question. Well, I think it's a, first important to know that there's a difference between being selfish and taking care of yourself. Mm. And I don't think people understand that. I, I think that they feel, you know, that's very codependent thinking too. Oh, mm. if I do this or say this, then then that's going to hurt, hurt other people, you know. But establishing those boundaries is the healthiest thing that you can do for yourself. And that's self-love, self-care, respect. Eating well is self-respect. Drinking lots of water, taking care of your body so that it can carry you around, your mind around. That's self-love and self-care and self-respect. You know, it's not, it's not too much deeper. It doesn't have to go too much deeper than that. We can talk about it all day long, but it doesn't mm -hmm. have to go too much deeper. It's like, am I happy? How can I become happier? Let's write these things down so we can see that. And then let's start working on those things. That's what I do with my clients. You know, when we, one of the things we have to do is write everything down. Like when we start thinking, we have to remember the thinking is the source of most of my problems. You know, everything you've been talking about today, it, it was a lot of thinking. Yes, yes, yeah, all about thought, yeah. To loom. Yeah, and that's all old knee-jerk reactions to situations. That's the way I think. I immediately go to the negative. I mm. tend to do that too, although I have a, I'm more aware of it now, and I think you are too. But mm. I mean, you, we just reel it back in. Mm. But taking care of yourself, it's lost a lot. Because we were always worried about other people. What will people think about us? What do people think about us right now? You know, do, do I have enough money? You know, we're, we're trying to fit into this world that was designed for only a few people to really succeed at a high level. And mm. the rest of us, when we, when we don't succeed at that level, when we see Oprah and Elon Musk and all those people out there, and I can't get there, now I feel like a failure. So self-love is like, oh, well, I'm not a failure. I'm doing, I'm doing okay. How can I do a little bit better today than I did yesterday? That's mm. self-respect. That's self-care. Yeah. So it's just taking care of yourself. And if things aren't going well, do something different. And I think having an accountability partner really helps with that because, you know, I was taught to have an expert in every area of your life. 
And it's like, if I get sick, I need to go to the doctor. And if I have to go to court, I need a lawyer. I hate doing my taxes. I hate it. So I have to, I need an accountant. Otherwise I go mental. Mm-hmm. And if I'm having problems in, with alcoholism or addiction or relationships or health and wellness, whatever it is, I need to reach out for help because I don't know how to fix that. Otherwise, I would have by now. And that's all practicing self-love, self-care, and self-respect. Another thing with this establishing boundaries, a, a, a way I like to have my clients think about this is I say, tell me one of your mentors. Somebody who you look up to, it could be a celebrity, a business person, hopefully not a political person is your icon. But anyway, find your icon, you know, somebody who's like very successful at what they do. Let's say it's Oprah, right? And you get into a situation and you're in a fight with your spouse or you're in a situation at work. What would Oprah do? You think Oprah would take that shit? Do you think that she would let somebody talk down to her and belittle her and not treat her like the woman that she is? No, she Mm -hmm. wouldn't. She would put up her boundaries and say, Mm -hmm. I don't, that's not how you talk to me. Mm -hmm. Right. So I would say, you know, use that, like carry that person around with you all the time into every situation. It could be a business situation, a health situation. Should I eat that food? Well, what's your goal? Well, my goal is to lose 20 pounds. Is eating that Snickers bar going to help you lose 20 pounds? Maybe I shouldn't do that. Hmm. That's all self-love, self-care, self-respect. Hmm. A couple of things come up for me then while you say that. One was projection. So if we're looking at the guy in the chair, who's just scratching his balls and drinking his beer and we're pissed at him, then there's likely going to be a projection there that we're kind of like doing some of the same stuff. So we, we look at him and there's a part of us like, we don't want to lose that extra weight. We don't want to exercise and, and we're projecting on him a little bit. So I think that is something that we should be aware of for sure. Like if we're complaining about somebody else in that respect and yeah, it's self-care, self-love, self-esteem. Okay, let's just lead. Let's do these things. We can't complain about that guy if we're doing 70% of what he's, he's doing. We're just doing it in a different way. We're not drinking alcohol but we're still not exercising. We're still eating McDonald's every day. You know, the other thing that, that yeah. come up for me was um, Gay Hendricks book, The Big Leap, but he talks about operating in your zone of genius, like that thing that you're really passionate about and that you do really, really well and spending more and more time there. And as I was listening to you, we've applied that, you know, with my clients in business a lot, but you can really apply it in a relationship when it comes to your self-love and your self-care. What is it that I'm passionate about? What is it that I really love doing? Now let's go do those things. We'll invite this guy or this woman if they want to come along with us. Like we have this um, sober coach of ours called Stella. She did that. She said, I want to go to New Zealand. She lives in the UK, right? I want to go to New Zealand. So she asked her husband if he wanted to go to New, Ze- New Zealand. He went, no. A lot of women wouldn't go in that spot. They would, they would let him dictate her, her existence. She just went to New Zealand. Yeah, that's great. Super empowering, right? And this happened after she stopped drinking. Before that, she would never have gone. And then after New Zealand, she went to America and she, she asked him. And he was like, okay, I'll come with you. And she was really excited for him to come with her, but she was willing to go on her own. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. independence. And that's mm-hmm. the difference between independent and codependent. Mm. And, you know, doing the things that make you happy, you know, doing a relationship is another thing that you're doing. So, all right, I'm going to go work out. Cool. Like we're, you're this person, you're, you're this spiritual being having a human experience, right? And I'm going to exercise 
and I'm going to do this job and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to have a relationship. I'm going to add these things into my life. That's just another thing to add in, not something to identify yourself as. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's where a lot of people get lost. It goes a little deep. I think that goes a little deep there, but Mm -hmm. you know, the purpose of our life is not to find somebody to complete us. And when you turn on the TV and all the hundreds of dating apps that are out there now, they all tell you that if you're by yourself, there's something wrong and you're a loser. That's not necessarily the truth. You know, we want to become independent, healthy, happy. And when we are, then we can invite somebody else into our lives to share that health and happiness with, Mm -hmm. not look for somebody else to give us that happiness because we're always going to be disappointed. Always. It's never, Mm -hmm. we're never going to get to that level that we're looking for with from somebody else. If we're not already full ourselves and along the way, you know, we lose some of that joy and some of that happiness. But if you have somebody who's independent with you and along for the ride to just share this human experience we're having, then it makes the ride way smoother. Mm. Yeah. Right. Back to the Handmaid's Tale episode I was watching last night, the woman who, the single woman who went out into the club, before she went into the club, a woman she was talking to said to her, you're really lonely, you need to get out, you're alone. She said, she's like, I'm not alone because she had a really strong relationship with God. She's like, I'm not alone. So, you know, again, it gets me thinking, if you can move towards a secure attachment style and have that secure attachment style, then it's less about the doing, 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 and more about you're just being, right? And whatever people do, it's like, okay, well, that's not a reflection of me. You know, that's not my business. So then when you're single, it's like, okay, that's cool. Let's go have some fun. And when if somebody comes along, they come along. But if we're avoidant, uh, if we're avoidant or anxious, now all of a sudden, when we're alone, being alone, we are much likely to be swayed by the view of romanticism and uh, the stigma of being um, alone, which happened to me. So when I left my um, first wife, I had an anxious attachment style. So I'm like, oh, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone. Everybody thinks I'm alone. Bad, bad, bad. Need to find somebody else, you know? Had I had a more secure attachment style back then, which I have today, I could have been more like, okay, I'm single for the first time in 20 fucking years. I'm going to enjoy this shit (laughs) and I'm going to take my time. And I know that, uh, you know, the right person will come along at the right time and I'm going to give myself a year. I'm going to give myself a year. I remember having a tea with a former podcast guest of mine, Gail. And she said to me during tea, I'm ready to date again. It's been a year and I'm ready to date again. It's taught me so much about her emotional intelligence. She even had mapped that out. She even was aware and knew I should not be dating until I know that I'm ready. Yeah. I didn't even know that shit existed. I didn't even know it. (laughs) Right. Most people don't. Yeah. Because I was stuck in the matrix, right? I just didn't have a clue. Well, and then by the time you get to the end of a relationship, I mean, like that there's the lust is gone and there's a lot of lack there. And you think that somebody else could fill that up. So when, as soon as you get out, you're like all horny. You're like, I need to go get laid. I need to do all these things that I didn't get from her, but you'll find out that it, it doesn't just happen like that. Yeah. And they, they go out and look for that and they might find some, some kind of sexual pleasure, maybe something this, this will get filled. You know, we didn't have money. So maybe this one has money and this has better sex or this one looks better or this and that, but there's still, this lack inside of you. 
And then there's still all the old harmful beliefs and behaviors that you're going to drag into the next relationship. You are an anomaly, like your relationship, I, but you have a higher level of awareness, I think. Mm. And so mm. that's a huge importance, a huge important piece of the puzzle for people to understand. Like what, what happened to you is totally possible. I mean, it's great. You're in a relationship. The two of you are um, work on it on a regular basis and you both have the awareness to be able to point out when things are wrong and the humility to talk about it. Most mm. people I don't, I, and probably a lot of people listening to this, I really hope that you can take some time to heal after a broken relationship before oh, yeah. doing that. Because it's really, you know, what, you know, what I find is like, you get out of this, you know, five, 10, 20 year relationship, and then you, you need the rebound thing. And then what happens is you end up with a bunch of two and three month relationships and they're painful. These like 30 to 90 day relationships and you bounce from one to the next mm. and they become painful and awkward and uncomfortable. And then you picking up more unhealthy beliefs and behaviors along the way. I got and lucky. I just got lucky. Yeah. I got, I got, I got lucky in the fact that I rebounded and fell in love with somebody who I could potentially live the rest of my life with. I, I was lucky. Secondly, I was lucky that my wife never left me. She could have left me on so many occasions. I don't think I was in the leaving her kind of mentality. Um, definitely. So I got lucky in that respect. And here's the way that I, in the way, here's the way that I, I view it is the closer I am able to grow awareness of when I drift into anxious attachment style and my inner child comes out and the more I can get to secure and the more I realize when my patterns are activated, the more my, more my wife feels connected to me, right? It's, it's, almost, it's almost like um, I know that if I sort my shit out, if I sort my shit out, right, we can have the most incredible, wonderful relationship. I'm not interested in life of sorting her shit out. That's her business. But I know that if I can nail this down and, and keep growing and just accept myself as being a complete fuck up, and that's okay, you know, and when I when I screw up, just quickly repairing it and apologizing, I said, as long as I can do that, this relationship is going to be beautiful. If I can't do that, and I just, I'm just, I just give up and I just slip straight back into anxious, let my inner child run my life then this was the wrong relationship to get into. And she did, she did stick with the wrong guy. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, that's mature. That's very, that's high level maturity stuff. Mm. Good job. I mean, I don't even know how, how much else to comment on that. That's, that's, you know, when I screw up, let's fix it. Yes. You know, that's huge. I know, and uh, own it. And own it. That's a, that's a huge part of the problem. And I'm, I was guilty of that too. And I do this for a living. Hmm. So we all are, and it's, it's part of the human condition. I mean, we can't beat ourselves up, but what we can do is identify the behaviors and then take steps to change them. So hmm. this, this is why we work separately. And then I'll say, okay, the reason we work separately is because most of us are focused on the other person's problems. <laughs> yeah. So blaming, judging. Yes. Yeah. So when yeah. we're in that blame, we're nothing's ever going to get resolved because hmm. you can't change anybody but yourself. So when we're sitting down separately, the first thing we go over is what are the harmful behaviors in the relationship that I'm bringing? Where am I sensitive to criticism? Where am I not? Um, where am I shutting down in conversation? Right. All, all these types of things. Where are my faults? And then I can start working on those. I can practice emotional regulation and say, this is normally where I would shut down. Instead, I'm going to engage. I'm going to stay present. Not 
I'm going to engage with her or him or whatever. And I start making changes. And then I become that person that they fell in love with in the first place. That's yeah. how you reconnect. Mm-hmm. It's not by any other way. It's by working on yourself, becoming a better person yourself, and then reconnecting. Well, Dennis, what a beautiful way to leave it. Thank you very much. It's been a wonderful talking to you. Where can people find you? It's at dennisberry.com, right? That's the best way. You can buy the book, schedule a free session. You can listen to the Funky Brain Podcast, and I hope that you'll come on and we can have a chat. Yes, yeah, we're going to do that. That'll be great. And uh, buy his book as well, Funky Brain, A Practical Guide to Life. Funky Wisdom. Funky Wisdom. Sorry, sorry. No, no problem. Okay, it's been wonderful talking to you. and. uh, um, really appreciate it. Take care of yourself, Dennis. You too, Lee. Okay, folks. Much love to Dennis Berry. I hope you enjoyed that. And um, just before you go, what can we do for you to help you? All right. Well, if you want to work with Dennis Berry, then you can buy his book, Funky Wisdom, A Practical Guide to Life over at Amazon. You can listen to his Funky Brain podcast, or you can get to his website, www.dennisberry.com and book a free consultation with him. All right. That's if you want to work with Dennis. Okay. If you want to work with myself, then email me at 1kdaysober at gmod.com and uh, book a free consultation with myself and we'll have a look what we can do to help you transform your life, okay? If you are interested in taking our five-day free alcohol light bulb challenge to discover the root cause reasons why you're drinking alcohol, head over to the website www.1000daysober.com and get involved in that. And if you want to join the Strive community, and or want to take the Strive Method, our six-month training course, uh, then email us at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and we'll give you the details. Please rate and review this podcast if you think it's wonderful. And most importantly, if you feel that there's someone out there struggling, point them in our direction. Much love. Until next week, take care, everybody. Mm